I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. Welcome to the Power 365 show. Full show notes for this episode can be found at nz365guy.com forward slash 308. Before we chat with today's guest, here's a quick message from our sponsor. Well, actually, we don't have a sponsor. So if you'd like to sponsor the show or know somebody that would love to hear from you, just reach out to me on LinkedIn uh, and we can set something up. Otherwise, let's get on with the show. Today's guest is from Tokyo, Japan. He's a senior program manager at Microsoft. In October 2016, he received his Microsoft Dynamics Business Solutions MVP award, now Business Applications. And of course, he no longer is an MVP because he's moved to Microsoft. You can find him on Twitter at Taki Yoshida, E-N. It's his English version Twitter account. Uh, Taki Yoshida, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Hi. Hey, it's good to have you on the show. Now, you're, you're currently based in Japan. Is is that, uh, are, are you moving to Seattle soon? What's the story? Yeah, yeah. I, so I actually don't even live in Tokyo anymore. I used to live there until ah. you know, um, COVID, but then mm-hmm. um, with family reasons, I moved in with uh, my wife's house. And uh, so I'm actually based in a place called Aichi, which is like the heart of Toyota. So Wow, that's where I am at the moment. But yeah, I'm relocating to the US um, next month, actually. Wow, very cool. So, do you, is, is Toyota one of the the most famous brands in Japan? Yes, it is definitely. Yeah, I mean, everywhere I go around this area, uh, most of the cars are actually Toyota. <laughs> is that right? Is that right? I, I drive a Toyota. I have a Toyota Hilux truck. Yeah. Oh, great. Okay. Awesome. They they had a uh, Toyota had a manufacturing plant in New Zealand for a long time. Um, oh, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, for maybe thirty years ago. Yeah, so they used to manufacture vehicles. All the parts would come in from Japan, but the assembly of them was done then uh, at a Toyota plant in New Zealand. Oh, hmm. I didn't know that. That's yeah, amazing. yeah, yeah. It's a well-known brand for real. So, so tell me, tell me. You know, what, Japan's one of my favorite countries that I've I've had the, the chance to visit. Uh, particularly, you know, uh, the food. Uh, you know, rich in culture. What are the what are the standout things that you're really proud of? Um, of your country i mean i mean you just mentioned about food the food is definitely something that uh, we're proud of i mean everywhere you know go around the world you get the sushi and you also get the ramen noodles i, mm-hmm, I was quite mm-hmm. surprised when i uh first searched in the oxford dictionary uh the ramen was actually in the dictionary <laughs> so it's, wow. it's a yeah no I, I think food is definitely something we're proud of um the other thing i suppose is the the bullet train we call it the shinkansen mm-hmm. which is like one of the, one of the fastest um uh rapid uh trains 
services around the world and we actually have not got uh, I think a single accident ever so, wow yeah it's uh, I think those are the kind of the main things that uh, is definitely I'm, I, we're proud of yeah yeah now you know the listeners couldn't help but notice you have perfect English and uh, <laughs> and so have you always lived in Japan or have you done some time abroad yeah, I was actually in the UK, um, in the Southwest for about eight years. I was there from 11 to 18 at a boarding wow. school. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's why I love my, um, yeah, I got my English, I suppose. Nice, nice. So did you, as in without your family, you went and lived in the UK without your family? That's right. Yeah, I was studying um, on my own. So that, that's why I was at the boarding school. Wow. I oh, man, that just blows my mind that at 11 years old, you could leave your family and uh, and go to boarding school. Was that tough? I mean, it was, yeah, I suppose for the first two weeks and then you kind of get used to it and um, your parents don't get used to it and they're more homesick, you know, sunsick than mm-hmm, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. me being homesick. But uh, yeah, no, it was, it was really fun. Um, I mean, you know, the, the film Harry Potter and it's, it's pretty much like that, except uh, there's no magic. So <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's, a, that's a good way to look at it. Did you, did you go home and, or do you know, did you go home on holidays? How frequent did you move backwards and forwards over that period? Yeah, I used to go back and forth about twice or um, three times a year uh, because you know, there's uh, three terms in a, in a year uh, for a school. So yeah, I used to go every like spring or summer holidays and, and winter holidays back to Japan. Yeah, yeah. Um, did did you find at any point that you wanted to be back in the UK more than Japan or did you find it was the right type of balance? No, I actually preferred uh, the UK more, I suppose, because it's, uh, you know, where I got more brought up uh, in a mm-hmm. sense. Although, you know, my nationality is Japanese. I, I have a English first uh, mindset uh, in my head, which is kind of strange. But um, it is. Yeah. But in uh, and, and all the cultural um, aspect of things, I suppose, I, because I got brought up in the UK, I felt the UK was more of a, a better fit for me at the end. Mm-hmm. So, so what about family uh, um, and uh and tell me about your upcoming plans to move to Seattle. Yeah, so I actually got married last year uh, in June. Wow. Congratulations. And, uh, and yeah, thank you. Um, and I got a, yeah, I have a wife. Um, so mm-hmm. she actually also works in Microsoft. So we're, we're both, um, yeah, we're mo- both Microsofties. Wow. So so is her role also being able to um, totally, uh, you know, is, is she reporting into Seattle or into a Microsoft subsidiary? Yeah, she's reporting to uh, Microsoft Japan. So she's uh, working in the BizApp space actually as well. And uh, wow. that's how she kind of yeah find, uh, found her way through mm-hmm. to me, I suppose. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. That's so cool. So will she continue to work for Microsoft Japan or will she take a role in, in um, Microsoft Seattle? I think she will eventually move to the, the Seattle role. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense, right? As in a lot of people don't understand the, you know, the, the way the subsidiaries run separate than, you you know, like the R and D and and all the product development that happens in Redmond. So, yep. um, and of course, you work in that that product development team side of things. Tell us a bit about you know how did you get into technology to start with? How did your career take that turn? And then ultimately, you know, how you specifically got involved in biz apps? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I always had a passion about uh, computers. I, I mean, um, my parents actually gave me a second hand Windows ninety five when I was still five. 
years old and uh, that's where I you know started uh, to kind of get interested about uh, computers mm-hmm. and uh, during my, the time as in the UK you know I, I was also had a laptop and I always liked having to try out new things and uh, I kind of self-taught um, all of the networking and like kind of, kind of basics like you know how Windows work how to install it all of that yeah so I eventually started thinking about well in, I want to go to university in a computer science degree and um, so I was studying it you know until 18 at the UK but unfortunately my uh, mother became ill um, and uh, I'm a single home, uh, single parent um, family. So my mother wow. was like the only person mm-hmm. that I could rely on. So I had to come back to Japan, unfortunately, and give up my um, my well my future to study at mm-hmm. uh, yeah computer science. So I had no choice but to go to Japan. Wow. And after I went back to Japan when I was in that was back in 2009, and and because she was uh, my mom was ill, and um, I basically had to earn the money, for, you know, to live. And uh, she actually also had uh, made some debts, unfortunately. So I had to pay the, them off. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know about other countries, but uh, in Japan, if you're not uh, a university graduate, you basically can't get any um, jobs like an, uh, uh, related to IT at all. Wow. And I kept on searching, but uh, there's no place. But I just um, had to work in McDonald's. Um, there was no other place I could work. And uh, so I started working McDonald's full time, Um yeah. And after a couple of months uh, uh, working full time, I finally had the chance to become a temp- temporary staff as an IT help desk at uh, a company nearby. So I applied for that and I I, you know, I finally got a place there uh, temporarily. And um, from that, um, I started doing an IT help desk, you know, really, really simple things like um, a computer doesn't turn on or um, some server maintenance, you know, that kind of thing. And that's how I started off my IT career. Um, and after a couple of months, uh, they decided, you know, uh, they'll convert me into full-time stuff because I could speak English and they're kind of a US-based company. Uh, gotcha. And mm-hmm. I was in a Japan sub- subsidiary. So after becoming full-time, they just happened to uh, be looking for an ERP solution. And uh, after, you know, sub decision-making, um, they decided to implement Dynamics and NAV. <laughs> so wow. uh, that's how I met the BizApp space uh, and uh, started my real journey with, you know, Microsoft technology. Yeah. So I had to basically kind of single-handedly implement implement an ERP because there's there a two-person IT department. Um, so I was basically a full-time assigned to this ERP implementation without even knowing um, E in ERP at all. I, mm-hmm. I, I literally knew nothing about it, but I had to basically Google my way through um, and self-teach all of how ERP works, like warehouse, manufacturing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, all of that, uh, and finance and accounting, all of that um, on my own. And uh, implemented in uh, Thailand and Japan subsidiaries. Wow, so, that's impressive. Thank you. <laughs> and then, yeah. like to pick, but to pick that all up, you know, at your own. So, so like, did you do any formal training courses on NAV at that point, or was it all just what you could learn from online? Uh, pretty much online, and um, I mean, there was a par- partner involved uh, implementing it as well with mm-hmm, me, mm-hmm. and uh, the consultant uh, was kind of helping me understand uh, all of the bits and pieces. But at the end, you know, because it's only it's a very small company is only about uh, 100 people overall and 
a majority was in the production uh, shop floor. So you, know, you can imagine um, all of the qu- inquiries about the about the dynamics NAB just came <laughs> towards me, and, and yeah, I, yeah. I kind of had to force myself to learn all of the modules, like pretty much end to end, to be able to support it all. So that's how I learned my NAV and ERP skills, I suppose. Incredible, incredible. So, so, the, so you know, you wanted to get into IT. You couldn't do the degree because of um, circumstances, but you've still ended up working for, you know, arguably one of the largest IT companies now in the world. That's that's pretty impressive. How did you ultimately then end up at Microsoft? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I spent about two years, no, three years in that IT um, in that uh, manufacturing company um, as an as a help desk and a, you know uh, internal IT, and then I kind of wanted to broaden my um, my uh, capacity and uh, expand it to you know implement it to other customers. You know, it was really fun for me. for me. ERP is really uh, an interesting uh, product for me because you, you can see the whole company end to end, and I wanted to try and do that somewhere else. So. So I, I actually applied to that uh, partner who was implementing it. Um, and then uh, that's yeah when I um, moved to Tokyo to become a, a Dynamics NAV consultant. Um, so I, I did two years there. And after five years in total in NAV, I kind of thought, well, I could carry on becoming an NAV ex- expert. But I wanted to kind of, for me, I wanted to be more of a generalist at the time and mm-hmm. wanted to broaden it to the more of a broader biz apps. So I then um, moved over to a, a, a Dynamics CRM um, partner at the time. Now it's a, you know, um, customer engagement. Now it's cool. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that's where I moved there. And I met my first Microsoft MVP there. Uh, there was there used to be a, a colleague there at the time. And he was the person who kind of introduced me to this community aspect. Until then, I always self-taught myself through Google and, uh, well, I should say Bing, but uh, to mm-hmm. Google and, um, and uh, it was, you know, just self-teaching. But um, that's where I learned the concept of, yeah, community. Yeah. Who was that person? Um, the guy's unfortunately now moved over to Salesforce. So he's no longer actually a Microsoft MVP anymore. But ah. uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, he, he taught me this concept of community. I then started to go into pretty much all of the communities that was available within like the Microsoft technology. I went to the Office 35 years group Azure mm-hmm. user group um, wow. within Japan. And I thought, well, if I'm attending all of these uh, uh, sessions and it's all free, obviously, this is a community sessions. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of um, contribute myself and see for what I can do. And that's where I started my personal blog, um, Taiki's Memorandum. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started posting all of the latest technology at the time, um, mainly about uh, a lot of the translations and uh, some new tech uh, that was published recently from, from Microsoft at the time. And because uh, culturally in Japan, it's uh, it's very hard to get a localized content. Uh, that was my main focus. I tried right. wanted to try and uh, increase the contents uh, available in Japanese so that more people can be empowered to do things themselves uh, through you know, these contents. So that's where I started my blog, and then I eventually ended up as a Microsoft MVP in the in the biz apps uh, back in 2016. Wow! So who nominated you in in the in, at that point? It was that uh, MVP actually wow. <laughs> at the time. Yeah. How how interesting! How interesting! Because you know, f- from the first time I became an MVP and went to Seattle, there were two Japanese 
MVPs that couldn't speak any English that that they I mean I think I think they're in either SQL or Azure or something like that definitely in the dev side but they would come and drink with us um, at Joey's and so year after year we would meet up with them we we had very little if you like conversation but being in the community was enough for us to you know communicate and stuff and year after year it's been interesting to I, I follow them now on Instagram and stuff like that and and uh, yep. he always posts lots of uh, Japanese food photos, which is you know I love. And of course, the Japanese blossom <laughs> when it's out. So, is isn't that incredible? So you became an MVP, and um, and then and then how many years were you an MVP before you moved into Microsoft? So that was the unfortunate one. Um, it, I only had become an MVP for one year. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. At the time, I actually uh, moved on and uh, worked at the UI, uh, you know, as an IT yes. consultant. Mm-hmm, but uh, mm-hmm. after seven months um, through LinkedIn, one of the recruiters in Microsoft reached out to me and said, well, I got this position um, for a global black belt, which is you mm-hmm. know, like a, GBB, a technical yep. sales. Yeah, GBPs mm-hmm. um, for Power Apps. And I was literally the only guy in Japan who was talking about Power Apps at all. But uh, I, I signed up to the private preview at the time and I, was, I could see the feature of uh, pa- what the Power Apps um, has already become today. Um, at the time, I, I wanted to kind of um, spread that uh, message more and more. And I was focusing a lot about the Parabs content. So it was kind of really timely for me uh, to be reached out and be told, you know, uh, there's this position for Parabs. And I was like, yes, I do, you know, definitely want to do this. It's, it's my passion to be able to uh, work on the product. And that's how I got into um, Microsoft, basically. Wow. Wow. And so you're now part of the CAT team, is that right? That's right. Yeah. In the, uh, the customer advisory team. So it's, it's a separate um, team from the Global Black Belt. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, interesting. And so it's so how long have you been in the cat team now? Um I joined in back in 2019 in June. Oh okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So quite some time then. Yeah, I'm actually one of the earlier I should call it uh, uh, people in the cat team. I think it was only like a five person um team at the at the time, but um yeah, I reached out to uh, now my uh, skip load manager Sarab and uh, he didn't have a role open at all um, at the time, but he, he had a position actually for the, I think for the UK or EMEA or somewhere, but I, I applied anyway. <laughs> and uh, and uh, because of the visa and everything, it actually ended up uh, with uh, my manager actually creating a role for me in Japan. And that's how I could join the CAT team. Nice, nice. Yeah, I first met Sarab probably two years ago in London. Um, who, who do you report into now? Um, I actually report to now uh, Mark, Mark Schwager. Uh, so yeah. I just interviewed him this morning. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, I just had him on the podcast this morning, um, which will be published in a, in a few weeks' time. So oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, so all the dots connect. Um, tell me about, you know, what was the key thing? And, and I'm just going to touch on your MVP, your time as an MVP. What was the, the key things that you learned as an MVP when you're in that program and really this is so you know for folks listening that maybe want to become an MVP or um, you know want to know a bit more about it how would you tell that story? I think uh, once well I I don't know about your uh, view on this but uh, MVP is not about um, how technical you are it's more about how much you can contribute to the the community Mm -hmm. and that is probably the bigger value of the Microsoft MVP and as you mentioned 
you know, even if you have this language barrier through technology and through this network of all of the Microsoft MPPs who are as uh, passionate as much as you are in terms of that particular uh, field of technology, um, there is it, it uh, actually there it's borderless. It's uh, there's no language barrier uh, through this MVP because every MVP, as uh, as I know and I, I do know at the now, um, everyone's really passionate about that particular you know, area. And so um, it doesn't matter you know if if your language is in the, English is not a second uh, is a second language. Um, it doesn't matter where where you are or what uh, how how technical you are. It's more about uh, this passion, I think, and. Uh, uh, and this enthusiasm about that particular technology and how you want to contribute to the wider world. I think that's the the biggest part of the becoming an MVP and being kind of officially being um, noticed by Microsoft to become that is is definitely a big thing. And you know sometimes you have opportunities to be able to present at uh, first tier um, events. So yeah, it's it's a great opportunity um, becoming a Microsoft MVP. Definitely, totally, totally. But tell me tell me about community building communities because it wasn't that something you you did strategically as well i did yes so i actually uh, started up the japan power apps user group um that uh so at the time, there was no power platform related um, uh, community in Japan. So I started one up and um, I always constantly um, had set the theme for this user group about paying it forward. So nice. I don't know about um, the other countries, but in, in Japan is culturally, it's a, quite a closed um, a culture where um, you anything you learn, you kind of keep it to yourself. And you might want to like share that internally, but not maybe externally. So what I, I kind of try and um, and um, pushed it was to pay it forward because my, my background of becoming from a, a non-skilled person to an IT, a person working in IT has definitely become, you know, something without, without any community or without any contents online, I would never have been become that person. And I, that's why I said, you know, if you're going to be part of this community, you're going to have to pay it forward. I'll, I might be presenting it, presenting it to you, then it's going to be your chance to present it or or tweet it or blog post it. Whatever you can do to, you know, um, output something is uh, the key criteria to kind of joining the community. I love and it. it. Actually I, has, I love it. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, it has, you know, become really successful. It's, it's now got, uh, I think, eighteen hundred people in the in the group, and uh, there's uh, now several Microsoft MVPs uh, within Japan as well, who is within the Power Platform. So I think uh, it has. Uh, kicked off really well. Where did you come up with the concept of, of pay it forward? You said that you benefited from it. Um, it's interesting because, you know, I run a mentorship program and one of the, my opening things is around paying it forward, you know, find three people that you can help mentor, train, provide resource to, you know, like you say, tweet, blog post, what you learn, that type of thing, Get, you know, give it away to other people. Did did you, like for me, there was a movie that uh, had the concept in it, um, um, I don't know how many Many years ago it was um was it was it you more reflecting on seeing how the community had supported you that then you know made you come up with that kind of guiding light or or, or what was your reference point yeah definitely actually i also watched the, the movie pay it forward as well and uh, I, and i really liked that concept but yeah definitely you know just through experience um of joining the community um in, in japan and all the all of the user groups it for to me uh, feeling that firsthand definitely made me um 
uh, as like my north staff to kind of scale that and uh, mm-hmm. for me to actually also contribute to that as well and me becoming you know person to pay it forward i uh, was definitely something i was really passionate about and I, i'm still am uh, even though i'm you know not a microsoft mvp anymore but it's still definitely something that i'm really passionate about uh, right now yeah awesome how did just just from a logistics p- uh, perspective there'll be folks you know listening to this going i wonder if i could start a community in my country or my city that type of thing, any kind of advice you would give to taking that very first step and when there's no community in the location and you're going to build one? Yeah, so I definitely had some help uh, with other Microsoft MVPs as well. So if you know someone or, or if you even if you don't know someone, you should try and reach out to those person. And and luckily now in this digital world, you have, you know, this great technology, Twitter, who you, you know, you can reach out to. And I, I mean, I found you, I found out about you, Mark, you know, through Twitter as well in the, in the very beginning. So um, I think Twitter and uh you know, Googling your way through is definitely something um, you should try out if you don't have a contact within your country. Um, I definitely started off mine through um, engaging other Microsoft MBs, MVPs from different areas as well, you know, from Office uh, 365 services and uh, service team and also Azure. So, um, yeah, definitely reaching out to those people, I think, locally is definitely going to help. Now in this uh, digital world, um, scaling uh, something is probably one of the greatest uh, challenges uh, because everything you now you do has to be online uh, you know instead of offsite uh, uh, yeah so i think uh, leveraging things like youtube twitter uh, blog posts definitely um is something mm-hmm. to work on yeah I love it. Okay. Tell me about what you do today for Microsoft. Tell us about, uh, you know, I know you're in the customer advisory team, but but broader than that, what, what's your, what are your projects that you're working on? What's your area of responsibility? Yeah, sure. So um, I engage with uh, one of the, the largest customers who's adopting the, the Power Apps in particular, um, but uh, mainly focusing on, because of my physical location, I'm usually focusing on customers that are either EMEA-based or APAC-based. So I have customers is uh, based in Australia, in uh, Netherlands. I also had uh, some in Singapore um, and also uh, in the Middle East as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, I cover kind of a wide range of time zone. So anything that is not in the US, uh, I would uh, pretty much uh, help out. And my primary role is to make sure these customers are successful in adopting the, the Power Apps and uh, well, not just Power Apps, but you know, Power Platform in general. And uh, in exchange, kind of gets the valuable learnings and the feedback directly from these customers and then feed it back to our products to make sure that uh, our product is definitely aligned to uh, what the the users and the customers are actually really um, facing in a day-to-day basis. So that is my primary role. Is is any particular uh, a a feature set, you know, like... um uh, automation, like apps, like um, RPA, etc., that you're particularly um, uh, doing a lot with at the moment? So um, my day-to-day uh, work is actually primarily on the power app side of things. Um, so I'm currently working on um, uh, capability, like the, the offline capabilities. Um, uh, this uh, customer in particular um, has a, a offline scenario and uh, they want to kind of extensively use that. So I'm trying to um, get that, uh, yeah, the first-hand, you know, experience experience with the offline space because uh, I suppose perhaps is not really, really strong with uh, the, off- the current offline capabilities for the Canvas apps. So mm-hmm, um, that is something I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm working <laughs> on uh, with the 
with the relevant feature teams. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. What about, um, um, what can you talk about express route? Yeah, so yeah, that's the other bit as well. So um, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah. like, it's like somebody primed me on what you're working <laughs> on, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so yeah, I have a couple of uh, government related and also financial sector customers um, as well. And uh, one of the things that was, that gets often called out as the the Azure Express route, as you mm-hmm. as you mm-hmm. somehow know about. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm currently working on the Microsoft Docs contents uh, to provide a holistic guidance about um, adopting the Power Platform with uh, Azure Express route. Um, a, a lot of these, uh, you know, um, highly regulated and uh, a, a customers who needs to fit with their uh, local uh, compliance and um, regulations uh, often needs to face scenarios where th- they need to have Azure Express Route uh, implemented to ensure that they're, they're specifically making the network uh, connection between the on-prem to the cloud uh, in a, I suppose, protected or uh, in a designated way, uh, I should say. Yeah, so th- that's where I'm uh, currently working on. Um, Hopefully it will be released um, in the next month or so. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is your documentation is going to be released, is that right? That's right. Yeah, it will be in the Microsoft Docs. Um, nice, nice. And so, it, it, you know, some of the benefits of ExpressRoute are not just, you know, the security and, you know, of the the business work network being connected into Azure. There's obviously performance enhancement because you can eliminate hops, etc. You know, on, or you can, you can control the route, if you like, where if it's going through an ISP, you're at their mercy. They might get a price-optimized route, but it might might not be an efficient optimized or, or performant optimized route, right? So, so, yep. so that's. Is there any other elements outside of security and performance that are that are also driving? Obviously, compliance would be another one, um, where the 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 account you're working with does require it from a compliance perspective. Any other major benefits of of implementation implementing Express Route? Yeah. So, as you mentioned, Mark, um, definitely sending it to the the route network route from the on premise to the cloud. Um, um, is definitely kind of assigned specifically to go through the express route. So it makes it much easier for well, for your IT administrators to uh, manage and control what is going out and what is going in. So that is definitely um, something that uh, is good. Um, the other bits is, I suppose, um, uh, that it kind of ensures that all of the data, you know, um, transfer between the on-premise and the cloud is, is definitely going through a private network rather than a public network. Um, Although I wouldn't specifically say that um, having it go for a public route is uh, is bad uh, because everything mm-hmm. was obviously encrypted. Um, totally. So um, it's just a, I think it's just a mad, uh, choice uh, t- to be honest. Um, whether it's more about the, the compliance a- aspects, uh, moreover the the benefits of implementing it, because uh, one of the things that is actually uh, kind of misinterpreted with the express route is that um, even if you assign a desig- designated net private network connection, if your internet speed obviously um, and your network speed is uh, not uh, high enough, it, it actually is going to be a reverse effect. It could be actually be a bottleneck. And mm-hmm. I have actually mm-hmm. seen customers who uh, kind of assumed that it's going to you know, help your network traffic and uh, overall, but in, in reality, because they've implemented express route without kind of um, fully um, designing it correctly or fully uh, architecturing it correctly, they could face these bottleneck issues and uh, lack of uh, throughput uh, within a network has caused actually a a reverse effect essentially. And it's actually easier to connect to the internet um, to connect to the the Microsoft Mm -hmm. services. 
but again, so that that is the whole point about this uh, Microsoft you know, docs uh, is to ensure that uh, people don't go into these kind of uh, mistakes or uh, ass- assumptions um, and then uh, also to provide guidance to make sure that uh, it's uh, going through the best practices and the right steps uh, to connect to the Microsoft Cloud. Yeah, I like it. I like it. So in any times in those type of implementations, you know, the point of presence that you might be connecting to, do you have to suggest a different provider for that to, to get the optimized path or do you pretty much move uh, work with whoever their ISP or their their, their service provider is? Yeah, so th- you have a, a designated uh, a connectivity pro- uh, provider uh, at your local uh, place uh, and that kind of depends on where you are based. So uh, I can't say exactly you can choose this and that, uh, but uh, there is a whole list uh, in Microsoft Docs actually already about um you know, who are the network providers and you basically choose that to connect. Uh, there's also now actually uh, another uh, choice that you can choose, which is called Express Route Direct, which is a, a actually a direct uh, way of connecting um, without going through um, other IS, uh, ISPs and, and uh, network providers. So there are um, more choices now compared to what, what used to provide a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So in that scenario, is Microsoft handling that end-to-end? That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Thought so. Thought so. Well, this this is good, and you know, look forward to those white papers. Is it a white paper coming out, or just as in it's it's going to be published on Docs? It'll be on Docs, um, and because the reason why is because we have uh, several updates related to the Express Route, and I wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that the latest contents get updated, you know, as quickly like as it. possible. Whereas yeah. white paper is kind of more of a fixed in stone, and it's it's hard, actually hard to update, and they're, they're very uh, static, right? Yeah. yeah. And because of my background being Japanese, and uh, if you have it as a white paper, you obviously have to get it localized, uh, you know, at uh, all of the locations within Microsoft. Whereas if it's a docs, uh, we actually have an international localization team who always... uh, updated contents in all of the languages across the globe so you know i thought it would be better um to have it that way yeah so so smart so smart um anything else top of mind um for you at the moment that uh that that you'd recommend folks to perhaps take a look at do some research on what's kind of exciting you about the future play that you're seeing and of course you got to do that without uh, breaking an nda of course but what's the future of the power platform that kind of excites you you know I, actually, just back on the express route, RPA has got to be interesting because you wouldn't have to put a gateway in place, right, for the for that scenario if you had express route, uh, the that's on-premise right. gateway. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's that's right. I actually just uh, had uh, the opportunity to test out the the feature internally last just last week, actually, and um, yeah, it's actually getting you know it, uh, close to that uh, level, and um, it, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, you'll be not requiring the on-premise gateway for Power Automate desktop, which is great because uh, there are scenarios, you know, and a lot of actually a complexity uh, implementing on-premise gateway. So it's de- that's definitely a, a feature that would be um, great. The other bits and pieces uh, around RPA is um, uh, definitely monitoring the queues and uh, runs uh, for the entire um Power Automate desktops that you have. So that is definitely something um, would be interesting. We should be coming in in the next uh, several months or so. So that, yeah, th- th- those are great. Awesome, and, uh, awesome. What else? Yeah. Uh, and uh, if you haven't tried uh, using 
you know, Power Automate desktop, please do, because um, it's now available for all of the Windows 10 customers, uh, as you may or may not know. And, um, you know, that has really, really, uh, I think is a, is a big uh, move for Microsoft to democratize, you know, RPA to the entire uh, planet. Uh, I think it's, it's a similar motion to what uh, we provided for Power Apps uh, Community Edition, you know, back uh, several years ago. It's a very similar concept. And, and um, I've seen a lot of great work and a lot of uh, nice uh, tweets also from the Japan community um, who, is, uh, who has already tested out these Windows 10 uh, powered mid desktops. So if you haven't tried, definitely do. And I think it will probably create a, a whole a new set of careers. I mean, I've already mm-hmm, seen mm-hmm. Um, other um, Microsoft competitors, um, you know, in the similar RPA space who has designated RPA consultants. So I'm sure, you know, there'll be similar chances um, around that space, uh, obviously for Microsoft uh, Power to be desktop as well. Yeah. Are you using it at all personally? I am actually. Because <laughs> like, you know, yeah. even for my I, podcast, I'm like going, okay, how could I, could I automate, you know, the launching of all the different bits that I need to run my podcast? Could I create you know that automation end to end and basically go i'm going to do a podcast bang and it'll automatically bring in everything that i need into a central point so i'm starting to look at you know use cases that i would use personally <laughs> what about yeah. yourself yeah so um well as i mentioned in earlier um i'm because i'm relocating to the u.s one of my personal um great RPA uh, use case for me personally was um, I'm actually automating the process of uh, searching the houses in the US. US. So um, my wife has, you know, given me this set of um, criteria or requirements, I should say. Um, So my wife's like my client at the moment. Um, And uh, (laughs) I'm basically trying to search for all of the the housing that is available. And, And in the US, it seems to constantly change its availability as to where you can rent a house. So what I'm doing is I'm basically kind of uh, going to all of the different um, house, housing uh, websites because they have all different formats. And But I'm dumping that into an uh, Excel spreadsheet that is uh, shared in a SharePoint. And um, yeah, so it's uh, constantly updated on a day-to-day basis with the latest information of what is available and not. So that is what, like uh, yeah, what I'm using at the moment. It's, a, it's yeah. a good practical use, good practical use. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. You know, I always like to do a few wrap-up things. One of them is uh, who, who do you suggest as a future guest for the show? Um, probably outside the CAT team because I've had most of the CAT folks on um, at the moment. But is there anyone else that uh, maybe you've come across in the product team that would have an interesting story to tell about maybe a product feature or anything? Yes, uh, there is um, one uh, particular one. I mean, it's uh, related to kind of um, the governance um administration aspects uh i think uh mick is the is a person you might want to reach out to if you want a non-cat person um mick is a recent uh i think uh recent hire i think uh to microsoft so he's, he's relatively new but um yeah mick Ferland is uh, definitely a person to uh try reaching out fantastic to. fantastic i'll get you yeah. to uh, uh flick me his details do an intro or something that'd be awesome um and i'll have a chat so Okay, uh, I always like to finish with some rapid questions, quick, quick, quick fire questions. They are random, right? So, okay, <laughs> um, if if I speak too quickly, just say can I have it again? And if you're just drawing a blank, just go pass. Okay, okay, okay. So, what opportunity uh, for love or money have you given up and you regret it now? 
actually, <laughs> that's, I haven't actually given up anything at the moment. So it's a, that's good. a hard one to answer. <laughs> no, that, that's a good answer though, right? That, that, that's fine. Uh, what are you most worried about the next generation? Next generation, uh, not knowing the, the the physical and the, the non-digital world uh, because yeah. they're so you know deep down into the digital and uh, so used to having everything in front of you in your fingertips. Uh, I want mm-hmm, to make sure mm-hmm. that there's some analog experience for for you know kids if yeah. I have kids. So yeah, that, that's interesting. Eh? How do you create more analog experiences? I like that. Um, <laughs> would you rather win a Grammy or an Oscar? Uh, definitely Oscar. <laughs> nice. Um, the little golden trophy. Who would you like to play in a movie if you're in a movie star? Uh, Tom Cruise, definitely. Nice. Interesting. Uh, what, the, what does the first 30 minutes of your typical day look like? That's a good question. Um, just sitting in front of my computer, I suppose that's not a good thing. But <laughs> <laughs> Fair call. It is what it is, right? Yeah. Um, and final one, if you could pick up one skill instantly, what would it be? Speaking Chinese, definitely. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't believe it because when I ask these questions, in my mind, I also query myself. And do you know the first thing that came to mind was speaking Chinese? Uh, <laughs> That's yeah, crazy. It's, it's, it's the most probably sophisticated language, you know, you have. So yeah, Chinese is definitely one. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks again for coming on the show. I look forward to getting this uh, published out there soon. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Business Applications MVP, Mark Smith, otherwise known as the NZ365 Guy. If there's a Microsoft guest you'd like to see on the show, please message me on LinkedIn. Uh, please like and subscribe in your favorite podcast player. Leave me a review if you're so so inclined to do, nz365guy.com forward slash review. Otherwise, stay safe out there and see you next time.